0: wake us up this morning didn't we amen amen I told the early service that if, if there was a politician running with a platform a plank in his platform or her platform her yeah, that that they would obliterate daylight savings time I would be inclined to vote for them regardless of the party. oh my goodness <clears throat> but you are here clothed and in your right minds reasonably reasonably speaking <clears throat> to those of you who are joining us, you know we don't even want to know. If you still got your pajamas on, if you still got that second cup of coffee, but we're glad you're a part of the Alamo City family this morning, wherever you may be. Amen. I mean, we really do, really do mean that. It's it's such a joy to realize that this family, this Alamo City family, has has some wonderful proportions that far exceed. This building and this uh, property on I-35. That was uh, that was one of those marching songs of the church. I I I think sometimes we need we need to get some some of these wireless microphones and let these let our praise team just just start off on a march while they get to singing and we just because hey, you you can't listen to some of these some of these triumphant songs and sit still. Something is going to move, you know. Um, I, I married a Presbyterian and Presbyterians were allowed to dance. I grew up a Baptist and that's why I have no moves. I, I, you know, I, I try to get as close to my African American brothers as I can when the music starts and I'm trying to get a little by by osmosis, but when we get to heaven, we're all going to have rhythm. I I believe that I, I do believe that, but, um, Yes, sir, that was, that was a marching song, but I want to read you the words of a, it's not a marching song, but it's a, it's a testimony song, it's a prayer song, a cry of a young man's heart. This was published in 1896, and the words were written by a young man who professionally was an art teacher. He was, in fact, the supervisor of art in the public schools of Sharon, Pennsylvania. He was active as a, as a layman, as a church member in the um, Methodist Episcopal Church in that part of Pennsylvania, and recognizing his heart for the Lord and for the gospel, for Jesus, and for folks to come to know Jesus, a number of his friends began to encourage him to consider leaving teaching and surrender his life to the ministry. Uh, He just had a way of telling folks about the Lord, and folks seemed to respond, so they encouraged him to pursue a life of an evangelist. These words in this hymn that a number of us grew up learning to sing during the invitation time or the altar call time in services. It goes like this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him In his presence, daily live. And then the chorus, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, wholly Thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit, truly know that Thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender, Now I feel the sacred flame, oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender. The word surrender is not a real popular word in current American cultural thought and conversation. Here's what it means. To surrender means to yield to the power, control or possession of another. To give oneself up into the power of another. What we were invited as followers of Jesus to do is to voluntarily as a choice of our will coming from what is going on in our hearts because our want to is being changed. We are called to take up his cross, to take up our cross, and follow him. The the cross was an instrument of death, In the years of Jesus on this earth. But Jesus was not saying that everybody who would follow him would take up a wooden cross and walk down a road with it or walk to Golgotha. At the core, the cross for Jesus was the assignment that his Father had given him what it would mean for him to walk in obedience to the Father was expressed in that cross. When Jesus will say to you and to me, you deny yourself, Luke 9, let the one who would come after me and follow me, let him or her deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It means... That there has come to be in your heart a surrender to the will of God for your life. For what it looks like for you to obey the Lord. And Jesus will say every day, just like I take up my cross. And physically, he wasn't carrying that cross every day. He would at some point in his life, go to the cross. But the way he lived his life was in the light of what he knew he had been called to do, which was to die on the cross. Jesus came to die, not to live. He came to die as a sacrifice, and then he was was raised from the dead. We know that wonderful Easter story. But throughout his earthly life, he was bearing that cross, owning as his own. The will of the Father for his life. It's the call to surrender. But I want to just offer a, another way of looking at a part of what surrender can be. We, we've, we've come to the conclusion as a result of a lot of teaching, and, and there are certainly places in the Scripture. That will equate surrender with suffering. Suffering as Paul would suffer, as many of the early Christians would suffer. Suffering for your identification with Jesus Christ, choosing to confess Him as Lord and Savior, and because He is not appreciated or loved by everyone around you, as he was not in those early days of the church. Persecution came. Desperate suffering came upon the church. That can be a piece of it. Paul was, when he was Saul and and was interrupted on that way to Damascus, and Jesus met him on the road, and Ananias, the, the Christian, was called to go and speak to Saul, who was, who was, who was blind, and, and but convinced that Jesus of Nazareth really was the Son of God. Jesus said to Ananias, you, you go to my chosen vessel, Saul of Tarsus, and you tell him the things that Ananias was given to tell him. But he said, I must show him the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. There is a calling upon many in the church across the centuries to suffer for the cause of Christ. That there are ones in prison today. There, There are more Christians being persecuted today, it is reported, than there ever have been in the history of the world. More Christians being martyred, just simply because they will own the name Jesus and hated by Islam, hated by other groups that just want to do away with anything that bears the name of Jesus. Yes, yes, to surrender to Jesus can mean great suffering. But I want to read you another passage of Scripture. We looked at it last week. And we're coming back to it this morning and we'll get to the nevertheless prayer next week. I, I, just, I just couldn't, that was announced that that's what we'd be talking about this morning. But the Lord just has not let me get away from this. We, I didn't, we didn't get finished last week. So I want you to find your way to the, to the book of Exodus first. And, and I, want us, I want you to look at this in, in Exodus chapter 34. And verse 5, you need to know that this is in your Bible, church. You need to know that the Lord has said this. You'll need to come back to it at some point. It will bless your faith. It will encourage you as you try to express to people, well, who is God? What kind of person is he? How how could I ever uh, hope to have a relationship with him? Look at what is said to Moses, and we've been over this before, but I want to read it again. This is how the Lord introduced himself to Moses on Mount Mount Sinai. This is Exodus 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, as he, Moses, called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, Now, the Lord is proclaiming. The Lord is saying what follows next. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Remember, you can also insert the word for truth there, loyalty, faithfulness. He's abounding in loyalty to those he loves. He's abounding in faithfulness to those he loves, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Thousands of what? For thousands of people? No, for thousands of generations, and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. But that's not where it starts. It doesn't start with the Lord saying, I'm going to visit the sin and the iniquity and the consequences of that upon future generations. He starts out by saying, who I am is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. If you were going to surrender to somebody, if you had to make a choice of who you were going to surrender to and follow, would you have it in your heart to want to surrender to somebody who, at the very nature of who he is, is compassionate instead of vindictive, is gracious instead of you get back exactly what you do and nothing different. Someone who is abounding in loving kind. That that means, that word is an amazing word, it just means lovingly kind at the core of who the Lord is. His heart is kindness, kindness. We can, does a face come up in your mind when you think of somebody who is kind? It, 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 means, it means that they're glad to see you usually. It means that they don't expect you to do everything exactly right. They know who you are and there is kindness that, ex- that is expressed from their heart. Toward you. Folks, it's back to what we were talking about last week. Hope lives when you feel like heaven has made a promise to you. Hope lives where you sense that heaven has made a promise to you. Who is the one in heaven? Who would make the promises that invigorate hope in our heart? It is this one. And the enemy will lie as much as he can and try to use as much evidence to the contrary as he can stir up to convince you that the God in whom we are to place our hope and surrender our lives to the following of is anything but compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and loyalty. That's the reason why some folks who are listening to this this morning have just felt like they've got to stay at arm's length with God. There's something in you that would say, I believe there is a God, but the way that he has been translated to you the way he has been represented to you could be that he's just he's just ticked he's just automatically mad that yes he knows things he knows choices we've made and because of those things he he remains so mad at me that I can't pursue him though there's a part of me that wants to be close but I'm afraid that if I get too close I'll get slapped down or sent to hell through all of that All of the lies that Satan will try to build up, create logic in our minds as to why we should stay away from God, that which pierces through is intended because it's written in this Bible for us, to pierce through the lies of the enemy. Here is how God introduced himself to Moses, to Israel, through Moses and to the rest of us who would read it later. Here is who I am. I am compassionate. There's, there's mercy that rises up in my heart in the face of things that are being done that are wrong, that are contrary, that are hurtful, that can be painful to people and to individuals. There's compassion in my heart. There's grace in my heart. Grace means that you don't get what you deserve with the Lord, that He doesn't come expecting us. To, to come with the, with the proper amount of, of payment in order to secure what we want. He understands there are things we can't pay for, there are things we can't undo, there are things we can't go back and fix. But it's in his heart to be gracious to the sinner, to be gracious to the one who comes short, to be compassionate to the one who doesn't have anything left in his or her heart to give back. It's in that place when the Lord, by His Spirit, does that work of of taking what we just read about God and moves it 18 inches to where it just starts blowing up in our heart. The result of that is hope. Hope rises that, yes, the God whose help I need does have mercy for me. Yes, the God whom I would desire to know more of is compassionate toward me that that he's, and he's abounding in love and kindness and loyalty, and faith, faithfulness to me. Okay, now leave, leave Exodus thirty four. Know that that's in your Bible. Do you see how perfectly consistent Exodus thirty four five and down through verse seven is with what Jesus said in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world. And the world hadn't repented of anything. The world hadn't quit shooting or quit killing and lying and cheating and, and the cruelty and the, and, and the abandonments and all the things that would, that would go on as people do life, as the world would be the world. For God so loved the world before the world ever changed. For God so loved you before you ever changed. Before you ever came to church. Before you ever said, I'm sorry, before you ever did anything to try to fix a problem that you caused and hurt other people, he loved you then. And, and, and you see, what will result in us being changed is not a stack of rules where we're, that shows us how far off we are and how many times we've disobeyed God. What will work to change your heart is when you realize the one who has a right to be offended at you and disappointed in you loves you. And and not just as somebody says that and tells you that, but you feel it. You begin to sense to know that. I'm looking into the faces of a whole bunch of folks and a bunch of faces I can't necessarily see, but I believe this is absolutely true. What drew you back to the Lord was the realization somehow that no matter what you are done, no matter where you were, he loved you. And, and it was, we, we, weren't, we weren't coming back to a God who's already mad. We were coming back to a Lord who missed us, who, who had been loving us all along. And his heart, his kindness, his heart. Yes, it is true that the wages of sin is death. But the Lord doesn't have to be involved in bringing the death that sin causes. Sin is a a law in the spirit realm. You, you, You do the things that violate the heart of God, which are right in his sight, which are just right for decency and the way that cultures and civilizations can live in a peaceful way. We just decide to go the other way. The Lord doesn't have to bring the judgment. The weight of the sins themselves bring us down. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. But but when we, even though that is true, God still says he is compassionate and he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. Amen. That's what brings us back. That's what will win our hearts. It's the love of God, not the law of God, that wins the hearts of men and women and women. All right, so. So we're on this this subject of surrender. 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 Can you surrender? Can you give up your power? Can you give up your right to choose when you make the choice, Lord, I I surrender to you. I, I want to take up my cross, my place of obedience, and I want to follow you. Realizing... That what he calls you to do, what is obedience with him, to him, bringing you in alignment with his heart, walking with him and having fellowship with him, that, that is walking with in the tracks of and the companionship of somebody who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. Not who has the bar set so high for you that you live in constant failure and disappointment. But it is that, Lord, I follow you, I I want to obey you, and as I do that, I'm trusting that you are compassionate, you are gracious, you will help me when I am weak and I can't go on. I'm going to read to you, if you would, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I want to read you a chapter on surrender to God. What it means. What it can result in when a life is surrendered to the Lord. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God. What is that? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross, take up his place of assignment, the specific calling of the Lord in obedience in his life or her life. The cross, taking up the cross means I'm choosing to obey the Lord. I'm choosing to do what pleases him. I'm choosing his way as my way. Now, if you were... if. if shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I am commanding you today. That's the description of a surrendered life. That's the description of somebody who is sold out to the Lord. Now look what comes next. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Folks, we, we read of the stories of the suffering saints called in their following of the Lord to lift him high in difficult seasons and settings of of nations and the the winds of of, um, rebellion and warfare happening and Christians rise up and as a result of that, they're imprisoned or they're even put to death. They're bearing their cross. And there can be seasons like that in your life that will come. Jesus, be magnified in my life. Jesus, be glorified in my life. As Paul would say, whether by life or by death, be magnified in my life, Lord. But what I'm trying to say to you is we draw the circle too small. When we assume that selling out, surrendering to Jesus, always means a level of suffering that could cause us at the thought of surrendering to Jesus, to just sort of wince or to to get ready for the next hit because it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be lonely. It it could be resulting in in great diminishing rather than supplying in plenty. There There is a calling that can be upon the life of a child of God to walk through those places and be in those times. But I want to submit to you that there is another category, there is another way that the Lord can manifest and respond to your surrender that doesn't have to do with being in prison or being beaten and whipped as Paul was. The the, the book book of surrender has, has, has more than one chapter to it. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you're, you're reading the promised blessings upon those who would surrender to the Lord's will in their lives, who would by, and, and what that means is the determination that, Lord, what you say, what your commands are, I embrace. I'm not asking you to rewrite the book for me. I just want to know what you want me to do. And by your spirit working in my heart, I'm going that direction. I'll take up my cross and walk with you. It, so b- before we get to reading all of these ways in which the Lord wants to bless, there has already been spoken to the children of Israel. Here are the things that the Lord says, honor me by doing. If I were to ask you, where in the book of the Bible, where, where, where in, your, in your Bible or the Ten Commandments written? Uh, if, if we had a pop quiz on that. Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments. Everybody said we know the Ten Commandments. They're in courthouses, or they used to be. Used to be in schools, not there anymore. Well, where, where are the Ten Commandments? You need to know. Well, One of the two places they're listed, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I want to read down through some of these. This, this, is, what, this is what a surrendered life looks like. The Lord, you say these things are true, and I will accept them as true, and I surrender to the truth of what you say and how I should live. Verse 7, Deuteronomy 5, verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the sea. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished or her unpunished who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And they list everybody under, his, under your control that you could put to work. Don't do that. do Not even down to your, your donkey or your cattle. Don't let any of them work on that day. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Over the New Testament, the Sabbath day shifted away from, from Saturday to, in many cases, Sunday became known as the Lord's day, the first day of the week when he was raised from the dead. But Paul will go on in some of his other discussions to talk about it, observing specific days of the week and of the month and of the year. Some will do with, with more um, strictness than others within the family of faith. So it doesn't have to that it be that it has to be a Saturday or a Sunday, but the principle is still there. There's going to be one day out of seven when I'm not going to be pressing myself for work or pressing the people under me for work. It it, it has come to be known just, just from a physical standpoint that there are physical benefits to not working straight through. Some will say, well, I, I've, I've got to work. I've got to then choose. Whether you'll follow, you know, this is one of those places, whether I will follow what I think or what, what others would say, that you will sure you ought to just go straight through seven days all the rest of your life, or follow the Lord. Folks, when the Lord gets in on blessing, and you give, you do what he says to do for six days, and you honor him in a different way on the seventh day. You watch how he'll bless you more with six days than he could if you had strung 49 of them together in a row. And you'll be easier to get along with, too. And your kids will know your name. All right, I'm going to stop there. Everybody. Lord, I want all these blessings. I want you to bless me in the country, and I want you to bless me in the city, and I want you to command the blessing, but I'm going to work seven days no matter what. Then would you please read this again? Anyway, verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord swore, the Lord your God swore to you, gives to you. 17, you shall not murder. You shall not murder, not take an innocent life. You shall not commit adultery. That's sex with outside of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not... Desire your neighbor's house or his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to him. The Ten Commandments. Now, was the Lord given that just because he wants folks to squirm? Or was he given that because he knows you do those things and you protect civility? You promote law. You, you promote decency. You, you promote protection. You want to bust up a marriage? You get the husband chasing another woman other than his wife. Just, just count on it blowing up sooner or later. What's done in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. You'll not be able to cover it. All right, so, so the, the point of all that is where I choose, Lord, I choose to turn a deaf ear to what the world says is the right way to do it or the popular way to do it. And I'm choosing <laughs> to honor you. Tell me what you want me to do and how you want me to do it, and that's the direction I want to go. All of that, folks, precedes the statement of the promised blessings in Deuteronomy 28. He, he, he'll talk about the, the, the blessing of, the, of the, uh, the income from the, from the agricultural work. And, and so what about that? How, where do we honor the Lord in that? Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Leviticus 2730 says this, all the tithe... Of the Lord, of the land, all the tithe, the first 10% of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. The other nine-tenths are not considered holy to the Lord. They can, it can be spent as the individual would choose to spend it. But the first 10%, Belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the individual. That's why Paul uh, excuse me, Malachi would say later in Malachi 3, speaking for the Lord. You're robbing me. You're robbing me, and the people come out and say, How are we robbing you? And the Lord says, in tithes and in offerings, the tithe belongs to the soul. Well, that's just that's just old testament, Pastor. That's just old time. Well, let me just, can I quote Jesus? Would that have any authority? Uh, Okay, this is Matthew 23, 23, Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, those are small seeds in their gardens, and have neglected the weightier portions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Notice then he says, but these are the things you should have done honoring the justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the others. What others? Without neglecting the tithing of your garden seeds. There is no way. That someone can say, oh, the tithe was just Old Testament. When Jesus picks it up in Matthew 23, blesses the practice of it and says, you just need to add to your tithing, making sure that you're doing the things that are just and right and show mercy. Okay? So we're back on this thing again. We we want the measurable blessings of the Lord. We want the heavens opened so he's free to bless. just telling you. The joyful place of surrender, the plenty place of surrender, the happy place of surrender to the Lord is described for us in many ways in this this passage. So you you, you go, let's just keep on reading. I love this one, verse 8. The Lord (laughs) will command the blessing upon you, in your barns and in all that you put your hand to and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. That is a response that the Lord makes. That is not the Lord doing something and then expecting something in response. He is responding when he sees a child of God honoring him, surrendering to him, choosing to obey him. He responds with the victory, the majesty, the authority of who he is being sent down out of heaven to impact and effect powerfully and measurably the life of one of his children. Oh, goodness, folks. Don't make it hard for the Lord to bless you, you know? Don't, 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 don't make it hard. He wants to bless He is kind. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He gives the instructions for us to follow, the commandments. This is what I want you to do. And as we do them, as we follow them, as we surrender, it can open up this hitherto yet unexperienced abundance toward you, supernaturally induced beyond any restriction that the enemy can give, beyond your brain power, beyond who you know in the natural, beyond what your skill set may be. I love this. The Lord will command the blessing upon you. Lord, just go ahead and command it. Command that blessing, Lord. What's my role? We talked about this last week. The role is not you don't have to be running around Chasing blessings. You pursue Him. You settle down to make your choice to honor Him in the practical ways, in the ways that He points out in the Scripture that honor Him. And then it, he, just, he says, it, it, to begin this, that all these blessings shall come upon you and shall overtake you if you will honor, if you will obey the Lord your God. Can I just say that again? If you will obey the Lord your God, 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 all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Instead of it being that honoring the Lord with something such as specific as the first 10% of your income. Instead of that being this this heavy yoke, it becomes one of the greatest, most joyful places in your life to be giving to the Lord, to be honoring the Lord. Because what you're doing is you are setting the one who holds the universe in his hand right in the middle of your finances. And you're saying, Lord, I've done what you have instructed me to do. Now, I trust you to do what is in your heart to do. Hope lives where heaven has made you a promise. Oh, folks, listen. He's made you the promise that he will honor you financially, materially, if you honor him first. How he does that, when he does that, that's his business. And he talks about in Malachi 3.10, the system is broken for you. You're living under a curse, Israel. Why why is this happening? Why are we living under a curse? He will say, it's because you are robbing me of your tithes and offerings. But he said, here's what you do. It's not a fancy thing. It's not a big, huge deal that has to be some public. You just start now. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be plenty in my house. It's that mercy part so that there'll be we participate in the mercy ministry of God, helping folks who have needs. And that's, that's where part of that, that, that tithe is supposed to go. But then he says so that there'll be an abundance in my house. And then he says so that, number one, you will have plenty. But then the second thing is the vines will quit casting their grapes. And then the third thing is the devourer will quit eating it all up. Basically saying he can either bless you by honoring your tithe By giving you more, or he can bless you by causing, and a bunch of us could raise our hands on this by causing what you have to go further. Because whatever was eaten away at it, somehow those devourers have just been eradicated. It's going further. And then the, other, the last thing is that when there are deals to be made, there's potential to be, to be had, but it's just not coming in. It's just not coming in. The, the people say they're going to do something and they, they, they go bad on their contract or they back away from their deal. It just, it just never happens. That's the vines prematurely casting their grapes. The Lord says, you honor me, I'll see to it in one of three ways you're going to be taken care of. One is that there'll be more than you've ever had before because you're honoring me. The second thing is what you have will go further than it's ever gone before. And then number three, the things that hadn't happened yet, you watch, they'll start coming in. Yeah. Oh, but I can't afford, I can't afford, I can't. No, you can't not afford to do it. That's what I just want to say, why and These folks were so thrilled and these promises were fulfilled for them. They were so blessed By the 90% that the Lord had given them to to use the way they saw fit, and they were blown away by the 90% that it didn't even compare to the 100% that they once had. Amen? All I'm saying to you, surrender is sweet. Surrender to the ways of God is sweet when you understand his heart. And what he wants, his heart is not to deprive, his not, heart is not to withhold, his heart is to bless. His heart is to bless. That we, hear this, we, we hear this about surrender, and I think we've grown up, many of us grown up in the segment of the church where, you know, I surrender all, I surrender all. That just means everything's going to be taken, there won't be anything brought back, I'm going to be lonely and I'm going to, you know, die somewhere off in obscurity. Well, that can certainly be an expression of a type of the response of the Lord. To, if he has called you for a mission as he had with Paul. Paul was going to be sent specifically as the Lord's missionary, the Lord's apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. They had their own gods. But he would come into Corinth. He'd come into Ephesus with the power of God all over him. And he would begin to preach and the city would erupt in response to Jesus. And, and as a result of, of the overwhelming coming to Christ and thousands, tens of thousands responding in Ephesus and Corinth, the city authorities grew jealous. They didn't know what to do with this kind of power. So they came after what they thought was the source of power, and that would be, that would be Paul. Well, you remember how in Philippi, they, they, they had him locked up, him and Silas, and they were they're thrown in the, in the jail. And that, that was what they thought they could handle this source of power by just blocking him up. So there they go. Paul and Silas just just in, in the dark in the night says they just began to sing. And they began to do praise. I wonder if they were singing that thing about death can't hold me. I wonder if they, You know, they got to the tap in their foot. I, if I was an African-American preacher, I could work with this now. I could work with this. But I just, I just can't. I can't do it like they can do it, but that but that patent of the foot, I heard one preacher talking about it's a pattern of the foot, the pattern of the foot. The angels got to pattern their feet who were there also. And before you know it, the whole floor started shaking and the walls started shaking and the chains started shaking and stuff came loose. Because the power of God at work in one who had sold out to Jesus. So yes, he would suffer. But if you had to ask ask Paul, Paul, had you rather see those seasons, go through those seasons where you would suffer and even be beaten and even be chained and be moved away, kept from the ones you love and so forth, would you you trade the power of God that got you there for going back to where it was peaceful and calm and normal? And he would say, let me tell you, let me tell you, I wrote something about that. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that I may, if by any means, find my way to heaven through faith in him, that I may know him. To Paul, the greatest joy was the sense that every time he was in a place where there needed to be power demonstrated for the purpose of the gospel, for the exalting of Jesus, Paul came to count on it, whether it was in a prison Or whether it was standing before multitudes proclaiming, or whether it would even be giving his own defense before earthly rulers. Everyone deserted me, he says in 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy 4. Everybody deserted me, but the Lord stood with me and delivered me. The Lord stood with me. You you talk about a blessing. David says, David says, and he's a king. And, 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 and he wasn't in prison. He, he, he wasn't being beaten. He was taking up his cross, in a sense, and following the Lord. And the journey that the Lord had him walk was to be an earthly monarch, to be a king. And David would say, in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. All right, run back to Deuteronomy 28. And and, and factor that into what's being spoken of when the Lord says, blessed shall you be. Look at him. Blessed shall be the offering. Blessed shall be your basket. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. If the greatest blessing of all is going to be the sense of the presence of the Lord, then what the Lord is saying to us here is, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, whatever your God-given assignment is, you can't expect to be blessed with my presence, with my favor, with my power when necessary. When trouble blows up and people come after you, I love that section. Your enemy comes out against you one way, and he will flee from you seven ways because of the blessing of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord. I'm praying this will reach down deep into that part of you that responds to a dare. I dare you. (laughs) You Say that back to me. Preacher, we dare you to surrender. To that place of surrender. Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? How are you calling me to do it? What is it that you're wanting me to do? I want to follow you. I want to obey you where that means to surrender to you. You got it. And then to expect that his response will be to bless you. Now, it may not be, and this is the whole thing. I, I, you know, the, the folks folks own, own tens of thousands of acres of South Texas country. Got all kinds of oil and gas production going on. But then they have a daughter commit suicide. You... you Having stuff, having stuff, having stuff is not necessarily being blessed. What does it mean? David said, Lord, I'm praying. I'm asking you for the blessing of the Lord to be upon my family. I'm not asking for the blessing of man. I'm asking for the blessing of the Lord. What does it mean when the blessing of the Lord rests upon you? It is the sense of knowing that you're forgiven. You're not perfect. But by the grace of Jesus, you're forgiven. You're forgiven because he loves you. Blessed in your knower, knowing that he loves you. And blessed in realizing that wherever you are, he is. Blessed in knowing that whatever it is that you need, he will provide in his way in his time blessed in realizing that the dreams that he has for you are beyond anything that you could come up with on your own for you. The plans that he has for you to give you a future and a hope. I tell you, you may be driving the same 1975 Ford pickup truck or, or Oldsmobile sedan, but you get in that thing like it has done for lo these decades. You stick your key in that ignition, you turn that thing over, and it just cranks right up, just purring like a kitten. Get going, you reach over there, and you punch the button or turn the knob. You've had it so long, you can still play cassette tapes in that thing. Maybe even an eight track, something or another. But off you go, off you go to H-E-B and you're tooling down that road, just lifting high his name. Your heart is so full, there's not any way for anything else to be worked in there. You get out that H-E-B and you get what you need to get and you head your way back home and you realize that I didn't need a brand new Jag. I didn't need a brand new Lexus. This old Oldsmobile has gotten me there. I sense his presence on the front seat. I sense him humming along with me as we go. Blessed are you in H-E-B. Blessed are you in your kitchen. Blessed are you in the country. Blessed are you in the city. Amen. Amen. Instead of expecting to be deprived, Instead of expecting to be without, instead of expecting to not have enough to do the job, you step into it realizing that I have the right to expect that the one I'm following, the one I'm surrendered to, will take care of what I can't tear up. What I'm responsible to do, he will give me the ability to do it. I can expect to succeed. I can expect victory. I can expect joy. I can expect his presence. And folks, I'm just telling you, I hope you're hearing this. That's not anchored on some positive mental attitude approach. It's anchored in the promises of God. It's anchored. Your hope is anchored in what God has promised you. And you can be by yourself. You can stand alone. The whole world can be saying, you're crazy. As Paul would say, though, but the Lord stood with me, and he delivered me. He delivered me back then. He'll deliver me now, and he'll deliver me in whatever comes in the future. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord. Do you understand now? All this in Deuteronomy 28. All this in Deuteronomy 28 is promised upon the ones who had surrendered to the Lord's way. It was the Lord's response to their obedience, to their heart for him. David would say in Psalm 37, toward the end of his life, you delight, oh man, somebody needs to hear this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That means that he is a person in whom you can delight. He doesn't say, stay scared of the Lord, and he may flip you a quarter. Delight yourself In the Lord, because he is worthy of delight, his greatness, his goodness, his specific love for you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. There are going to be some things in life that we're not going to know how to do. We're not going to have the money to do. We don't have the connections to get done. Commit your way to the Lord. Roll over onto the Lord. Surrender the burden to Him. Trust also in Him. Lean on Him. Count on Him. And David just says, this is my story. He'll do it. What do you need to be done that you can't do for yourself? Have you committed it to him? Have you surrendered it to him? And I'm praying, yes. Yes, if we have it, that's where we're headed. That's what we're gonna do. I, I just want you to walk away from this. With this, with this sense of the heart of your father. Abba. Paul would write, He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son Jesus into our hearts, crying. Abba, Father. Jesus, intimately connected, bound to the love between the Father and the Son, stronger than any bond in the universe, that same Spirit of the Son sent forth into our hearts that we would cry out, Abba, Father, not, Oh God, Mr. Sir, whatever your name is, whether you're really there or not. Abba, the term of endearment of the child to the Father. Oh, Abba, oh, Abba, oh, Abba, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I want to follow you, you know where I am, and I'm trusting you to do what you have promised that you would do. My hope is set in that which I believe you have promised. Lord, I ask you, please, take this, take this truth, these truths to where they need to settle and be anchored and cemented in our hearts. Lord, will you cast away, cast aside that logic that the enemy, the false logic where he's just kept pounding away, that you're not loved, you You've fallen short. You'll never measure up. God's so mad at you, or you'll never be able to do this surrender thing. Lord, if it was left up to us, we, we, we would never get there. But you've said if any man or woman is in Christ, that one is a brand new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Lord, will you make real to us? so we can feel it in our hearts, the truth of your heart toward us and the strength, Lord, of your promise. If you've said it, if you've said it, if you've spoken it, you've spoken it to us as your child, you mean it. Give us the ability to rest and quit striving. Give us the ability to just settle down and rejoice. And God has spoken it's just a matter of time, and I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you, Lord. Now, Father, I want to, I want to pray for the, the family all over the place, the, your, your people. It seems like the world is just absolutely terrified of the coronavirus situation. Your word tells us that you've not given us the spirit of fear but of love and power of a sound mind. Lord, we ask you to, to use the concern to take us to the right place, that we're washing our hands and we're taking our vitamins and we're doing the things that make sense. But Lord, I, just, I pray you'll give us the ability to just show the difference of what somebody filled with Jesus is and somebody who's not walking with you. That, that, we, 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 that we know there's stuff all day long, every day that could take us out at any time. But you have protected us. You have provided for us. You have blessed us. And we, we ask you to continue that protection. We ask you to prevent the coronavirus from, from spreading into any of our lives. But, but just, Lord, take care of it. We, we, we give it back to you worldwide, Lord. And I pray that your people, you'll give to us by your spirit the ability to trust you, to not be shaken, to not be scared of our shadow, to not be trying to find a germ under every, under every paper, piece of paper, and that we're trusting you. We're going on with life. We're trusting you. And we're a testimony that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but Lord, you have given us your spirit of love, power, and a sound mind, and a sound mind. We receive that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together.